When the cat's away, the mice will play. I was uh, 12 or 13 when I got my first real job, kind of my first official job, and uh, happened to be at a grocery store, IGA, not IGA in Three Hills, this is not, you know, local story. Um, but uh, being so young and being that's my first official job, there was some nerves. Uh, but specifically, I remember some things that happened internally inside of me whenever the boss was around. Um, you know, there was this, this fear, this trepidation. It's like, this is the guy that hired me and has the power to fire me. And so, you know, as I was, you know, uh, stocking shelves, if he walked down the aisle, you just kind of work a little bit harder, right? And you're, you know, don't slack off and you're just, there's just something inside of me, right? This fear and trepidation. But what I found interesting is that something inside of me changed whenever I walked to the back and I saw that he wasn't in his office, and I would go, you know, look outside uh, and his truck wasn't there. And there was just kind of this relaxing thing that happened inside of me when the boss was away. But it wasn't just something that happened internally. The entire store had a different feel to it. Um, all the employees just started acting a little bit differently when the boss was away. And this is when typically, you know, uh, coffee breaks went a little bit longer. Um, more shenanigans happened. We'd have, you know, not often, but from time to time, like dodgeball wars with ice or uh, grapes, you know, you just steal from. And, and it's like, you know, I think my brother started, oh, sorry, uh, if he's listening, uh, he started some of those. But yeah, it was just, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And interestingly, although I'd never heard the phrase as a 12, 13-year-old, I had already experienced it. And Jesus talks about this very phrase. When the cat's away, the mice will play. And Jesus, as he was teaching, he gave some ideas and, and spoke about what would happen when he left the earth. And the time between when he left and when he would return. And he gives some instructions to his followers, to people who would be followers of Jesus, about how you're to live when I'm not here. And he tells a, a series of parables and stories which we've been diving in in this series called Endgame. Now, the end and this idea of the end, the end of the world, whether you're a religious person or not a religious person or you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or maybe you're not sure yet, there's a fascination in all of us as it relates to the end. I mean, we want to know like what's it going to be like and how is the world going to end and when is the world going to end and there's all kinds of fascination. But as Jesus spoke some things about the end in Matthew chapter 24, he, he, he gave some details and scholars, you know, we, we wrestle out and we disagree as to all that Jesus meant. But here's what he said about the end. He said, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. And so he's, he gives some details, but he says, nobody actually knows when this is going to happen. But what he says is, it's going to happen. I'm going to leave and I'm going to return one day. And so rather than giving us all the details, because he says no one knows about when it will happen, he says, here's the posture. Let me give you the posture of what you're to, the posture you're to have as a follower of Jesus as it relates to the end. And the posture he gave us was this. Just six verses later, he says, therefore, here's the posture, keep watch. 
I know I'm leaving and you have all kinds of questions about how it's going to be and what's all going to happen and when I'm going to return. But here's the posture I want my followers to have. Keep watch because you don't know what day your Lord will come. And after speaking of, about this in, in Matthew chapter 24, we get to Matthew 25 where Jesus tells a, par- a series of three parables that kind of uh, show us what does it even mean, practically speaking? What does it even look like to be a people who keep watch? If we're gonna take this posture on, what is this posture anyways? Jesus like, let me describe it for you. And the very first parable, we looked at it last week, maybe you remember, but Jesus told a story about 10 virgins, five wise and five foolish ones who were waiting for the bridegroom to enter this kind of wedding banquet feast. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming and the five wise virgins had brought along extra oil. So when he finally came at midnight, They had enough oil for their lamps, but there were five foolish ones who didn't bring enough oil. And so they had to go out and purchase oil. By the time they got back, the doors were already closed and they missed the banquet. And Jesus's point was this, you need to keep watch. But by keeping watch, he meant this, and we summarize it this way, that the wise, the people who are wise watchers are those who are prepared and they're ready for the end or their end. And reality is we don't know when either will come. Right? We can guess when we might die, but we don't know. We're not guaranteed our next breath. But the wise, those who watch wisely, are those who are prepared for the end and prepared for their end. And what does it mean to be prepared? And last week we talked about this. This is kind of summary. But to be prepared is to have your passport in hand. When your end comes, do you have your passport in hand to enter into life eternal? Um, We talk about uh, admitting that you're a savior or that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus as your savior from sin, that God has made a way for us. The way Jesus said it to his friend Martha in John chapter 11, he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die and anyone who lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked, do you believe this? His question was, Are you gonna be prepared for the end? I am the resurrection and the life. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Is your passport in hand? Are you prepared? So being watchful has this idea of being prepared, but also this idea of being ready, being watchful. So as Jesus goes on to his next two parables, he describes for us what this looks like practically. What does it look like to be someone who's ready, someone who's watching? So that when Jesus returns, you're ready and prepared. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. Jesus says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. He's telling a story. He says, again, it will be like. When he says, again, it will be like, he's referring to what he said earlier at the beginning of chapter 25, when he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like then. And then refers to, in 24, he says, when the son of man returns at the end of the age, here's what it will be like. You want to know what the kingdom of God will be like? He says, again, it will be like this. Let me describe it for you. It's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth, a rich man, a master who had all kinds of servants. And as he's about to go on his journey, 
He entrusts his wealth to them. Now, undoubtedly, Jesus is referring to himself as the master. That he's saying, hey, as you know, I'm gonna leave. And as I leave, I'm gonna entrust some things to you, but I'm also coming back. Remember, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like when the son of man returns. So he gives wealth. He's got a great deal of wealth. We're told that uh, to one he gave one of his servants, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, what we see about this is that the master does not give equally to all three, but he does give fairly. It's not equal. They don't all get the same amount, but they all are given fairly as to their ability, which means they will also be held accountable, not to equally to the other, but fairly to what their ability is. Interesting. He goes on. To the man who had received five bags of gold, uh, sorry, had received five bags of gold, went at once and put his money to work and gained five, more, uh, five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And we see that the first two servants, they do something with their, with their money, right? And it is at once. Now you might have in your translation five talents or two talents. Talent is just a measurement. It's a measurement of money. It's a great deal of money. So they each got a great deal of money, but they did something. They didn't just sit in their back. They weren't lazy. They did something with it and they did it at once. But in contrast, we're told that the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And in all these parables that Jesus is talking about, the time between when he left and when he comes back, he keeps talking about a long time. So we don't know when he's coming back, But he keeps talking about a long time, right? The bridegroom was a long time in coming. The master is a long time in coming. But just because it's a long time doesn't mean it's endless. There is an end. It will eventually come. And what will the kingdom of heaven be like then? And Jesus describes it. Then the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He's given his account, right? Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And then the master responds, I think surprisingly. He says this, well done, good and faithful servant. And when the master said, well done, good, He's declaring something about this man's character. He says, you are a good person. You are a righteous person. You are a person of integrity. Your character is good. Well done, you're a good servant. The second descriptive word he uses, I think surprises us because we tend to read this parable through Western capitalistic eyes. Jesus does not say, well done, good and successful servant. He does not say, well done, good and profitable servant. See, we read a story like this and we think what Jesus and what he's describing is that he's looking for someone who has success, someone who can bring about great gain and great profit But had that been what the master was all about, he would have said, well done, good and successful 
servant. But he does not. Rather, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, because in the kingdom of heaven, success is spelt differently than how we spell it in our capitalistic society. In the kingdom of heaven, success is spelt F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L. Faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, the word faithful means you are reliable. You have proven yourself trustworthy. I entrusted something to you. You are faithful, trustworthy, reliable. In fact, we see this, this idea of faithfulness show up in what Jesus says next about this master. The master continued, you have been not successful, not profitable. What does he say? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, if the master had only been about profitability, he would have said, you have been profitable with a few things. Let me give you some more money. Let me give you a bonus so that you can create more cash for me. But he's not interested simply in creating more, in being profitable. This is why he said, I will put you in charge. Because guess what you do with faithful people? You give them responsibility. And because he'd proven himself faithful, Jesus says, well done. Let me give you more and more responsibility. Come and share your master's happiness. Well, the man who had been given two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge. I'm gonna give you more responsibility as you have shown your ability. I will give, put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And when this man says, I knew this about you, it does not tell us that it was necessarily true. There's debate. We don't know. Was this master actually a hard man? Did he actually do these things? Possibly. But what we do know is that the perception of this servant, what was true for him is he believed this about the master. Or so he said he believed this about the master. This is how I view you, master. This is what I believe about you. You're this kind of man. And because I think you're this kind of man, here's what I did. So I was afraid and I went off and hid your gold in the ground because all you're about is profitability. You scatter seed and you uh, harvest where you haven't scattered because you just want more, 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 more. <laughs> That's what I believe about you. See, here's what belongs to you. I didn't want to lose it. So I'm simply giving to you because this is what's most valuable to you. So he thought, so he said he believed. And check out the master's response. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. And when he uses these two words, they're in direct opposition to what he said about the other servants, isn't it? To the first two servants, he said what? You are good. This one is evil. He's wicked. He does not have the character. He does not have the integrity. 
But likewise, where the other servants were faithful, not profitable, they did something, they were trustworthy. This servant is lazy. He is not trustworthy. He simply did nothing. And then the master says this, if this is true, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown or gathered where I have not plant, uh, uh, scattered seed. When he says this, he says, so you believe this about me. Again, we don't know if it's true, but this is how you view me. This is how you say you view me, that I'm this kind of man. And then he uses the man's own description of the master to judge him. He says this, if this is true, if you actually believe this about me, this is how you would have responded. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit if that's what you think I'm all about with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. If you knew, if this is what you believe about me, your actions did not follow through with what you said by your mouth. And Jesus knew something about us, that true faith always leads to action. True faith will always lead to action. And you can say with your mouth, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if you wanna know what you actually believe, watch your life. How you live will be a very good description of what you actually believe. And Jesus calls this man out because he says, listen, you say you believe this about me but your actions showed you didn't. You say that I'm just about money. You just say that I'm about the profit. But if that was actually what you believed about me, you would have acted differently. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, later would write a letter and he says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, a, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? It's useless faith. If someone puts lip service and says, I believe, I believe, I believe, but it never flows out in their life. And I wonder if James wrote this because he had sat in on Jesus and heard parables such as this. You say, you, you, you say this is what you believe, but it's not even true. See, what the third servant was doing, rather than saying what he said he believed to form his actions, he used what he said he believed and as an excuse to do nothing. And Jesus called him out. So the master said, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Because remember, to the one who's proven trustworthy, they will be put in charge. They will be given more responsibility. But for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Even his faith never proved true and he was left with nothing. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is in direct opposition to the first two servants who were invited to enjoy the abundance of the master. This man uh, missed out on the abundance of the master. I think a parable like this leaves us with some, some questions, doesn't it? And this is a, some questions for those of you who are followers of Jesus that I think we need to wrestle with. And the questions is this, are you doing something with what God has entrusted to you? See, we live in the in-between time between when Jesus left and when he's coming back one day. And it's a long time. 
but it's not an endless amount of time. We will one day give an account, won't we? Are you doing something with what God has given you or are you investing what God has entrusted to you? And maybe for you, I mean, a question like this, I think makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, and how much is enough? What if I'm not doing it? The question isn't how much is enough, it's are you just doing something? This isn't what saves us, but it is what those who do, who are followers, who have been saved by the salvation of God through Jesus, as their faith flows out into them, it flows out to others. Are you doing something? I wanna suggest two things that God has given each of us. And there's many things you could ask this, time, treasure, talent, so on. But I wanna look at two things that God has given each of us and ask, am I doing something with what God's given me? The first one is this, you and I as followers of Jesus have all been entrusted with the gospel. This is actually something Jesus before he left said, I'm giving it to you. And the question I have for you is, are you investing the gospel? Are you doing something with what's been given to you? See, inaction is just as wrong as bad action. The brother of Jesus, James, said, anyone who knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, they sin too. It's sin for them. And so doing nothing is still wrong. And you and I have been entrusted with the gospel. See, the gospel, the good news, the saving faith of Jesus was never meant to enter us and then stop with us. Like water that's not moving, our faith will become stagnant. But water that's moving, that remains crisp and fresh and clear, faith that remains alive is faith that enters us and then flows through us to others because we've invested what's been given to us, we invest it with others. In fact, Jesus, right before he left, some of his last words, he said just this, invest the gospel. In Acts chapter 1-8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I am gonna give you a gift, the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit living in you, you're gonna become my witnesses, my representatives. The good news of me is gonna go out through you. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel. I wanna suggest a couple ways that we talk about at Mount All, very practically speaking, that we encourage one another to invest the gospel. At Mount All, if we talk about something, if you've been here a while, you know, we talk about our sphere of influence, that we all have eight to 15 people in our world that makes up our world, that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis, that we rub shoulders with on a weekly basis. It might be your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your spouse. It may be your coworkers, your employers, your employees. Uh, It may be your schoolmates, the people on your sports team or dance class. Uh, It may be your neighbors. It's the people that you rub shoulders on a weekly and daily basis. This is your world. And God has entrusted you the gospel to go out to your world through you. And are you investing the gospel in those who are in your world? And that means for those in your world that are already followers of Jesus, discipling them. Discipling simply means this. Jesus said it in Matthew 28. It says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Teaching them the good news and the obedience of following Jesus. Teaching them the good news. Are you intentionally investing the good news of Jesus in your kids, your grandkids, and those who are around you? But at Mount Olive, we also talk about, of those eight to 15, undoubtedly, 
there's one, two, three, or four of those in your sphere who don't know Jesus yet. And so we talk about praying for four. Find four people that you know who don't know Jesus and start praying for them. Investing the gospel in them simply through your prayer life. And then as you invest through prayer, look to have, make it more conversations. Everyday conversations that just go a little further into faith, into what str- they're struggling with, their challenges, as you invest the gospel into them. And then thirdly, as you've prayed for four and you've had these make it more conversations to open the door of your life, maybe even physically your home, where you invite them in and you do life with them, continuing to invest the gospel through prayer and conversations and life on life living. Who are the people in your sphere of influence? Are you investing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, being a disciple maker? We've been entrusted with the gospel. Secondly, We've been entrusted with the gospel. We've also been entrusted with gifts. You saw earlier, Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the Holy Spirit would gift us. And it's not all the same gift. We have different gifts. But here's the truth. You have been gifted. If God's spirit is in you, you're not the ungifted one. It's not like, oh, he forgot to gift you. We've all been gifted. But the gifts we've been given were not meant to be squandered. They were not meant to be used for selfish gain. Our gifts were meant to build up others and bring glory to Jesus. For the good of others and the glory of Jesus. To point people to Christ. And if you don't know what your gift is, I want to invite you. There's a, a the scripture has a list of gifts um, throughout different places. There's no um, exhausted list of gifts. Uh, some of them includes, you know, pastoring, shepherding, leadership is a gift. Um, behind the scenes, administration is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, mercy, coming alongside people and just grieving with them and helping them. Uh, the gift of helps, uh, service. These are all gifts. Generosity, different gifts. God's spirit has gifted you. And if you don't know what your gift is online, uh, if you wanna go and find uh, uh, an assessment, there's small group questions that go along with this message. And there's a link to gifttest.com. You can Google it if you want. But if you don't know what your gift is, you're like, I don't wanna squander my gift. Uh, You can do an assessment. It's free at gifttest.com. But I would encourage you, don't do this alone. Do the test and then sit down with your small group and say, hey, here's the thing that the assessment is telling me. And allow them to either affirm or maybe say, ah, I think actually your gifting may be here. And get clarity about what your gift is. And then start investing the gift that God has entrusted to you to build others up and bring glory to Jesus. Are you doing something, something with what God has given you? Are you investing what God has entrusted to you? You know, one of the things I think the big roadblocks for us doing something and investing something is what I talked about earlier. We read a parable like this through capitalistic eyes. And we often say, I don't know if I can invest the gospel or use my gift because what if I'm not successful? What if I fail? What if I try to pray for four and have a make it more conversation and I just fall on my face? What if I step out with the gifting God's given me and I just fall on my face? What if I'm a failure? And it keeps us from investing or doing something with what God's given us. But I want to remind you, in the kingdom of heaven, success is spelt faithful. And one day when we stand before God, he will not say, how successful were, were you? He will ask us, were you faithful? Did you do something with what 
I had given you. There's a story Kenneth Bailey tells of Mother Teresa. A British journalist once interviewed her and said, how do you keep going knowing, and you know, you can never meet all the needs of those who are dying in Calcutta? So how do you keep going? And Mother Teresa responded, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And I imagine as she entered eternity, that her master met her and said, well done, good and faithful servant. We've been given something. Are you doing something in the time between now and when Christ returns with what God has given you, with the gospel and the gifts he's given you? May we be those who also hear that word. Well done, good Maybe I wasn't always successful, but Father, I want to be faithful. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, Father, today as uh, we hear this, it's a challenge. Um, You have gone, but you didn't go away without any instruction. You called us to be a watching, watchful kind of people, to be prepared, having put our faith in you and having received eternal life, salvation by what Jesus did on the cross. We don't work our way into salvation. We receive it as a gift. But then you've called us with the gift you've given to entrust, you've entrusted that, to invest that in others. And so Father, wherever that lands with us, may we be those who aren't held back because of some sort of standard of success that we think we have to meet. But we would be those, as we feel your nudge in our hearts and in our lives, that we remain faithful to what you've called us to. Uh, Father, in some specific instances, we're gonna need your wisdom to know what to do. But maybe even more importantly, we're gonna need the courage. So may you make us strong as we rely on you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.